and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we're going to be talking a little bit more on Vrenz Blindberg, the OKC Blue missing out on him, and where he's heading in the G Lee ranks. Additionally, I'm going to be talking about the Josh Giddy SGA ball handling discourse we had earlier in the week, if it really means anything. And then I will be looking at the lottery standings and the upcoming schedule for the Thunder. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out first with friends Blindberg. I mentioned it in the last pod the 21 year old signed a g league contract on thursday and pretty much what that means is you become available to the prospective g league franchises and with that you get put on a waiver system and this is the same thing you'll see in fantasy football you'll see it in the nba look at mamadi diakite as an example from earlier in the year basically there is a 24 hour window where teams can place waiver claims on a player, uh, which pretty much means like, you know, there is a chance that they'll add him to the roster, puts you in that pool, and then it's going to be selected one way or the other. And it works a bit different in the G League because you have guys that either get waived from an NBA franchise and sign a contract that way, or sign from overseas, such as what Vrenz did, uh, and then you get that pool. But The way it differs is at the NBA level, let's say I waive a dude that's on a two-year, $5 million contract for 24, or excuse me, 48 hours, any of the other 29 teams can pick him off of waivers in that 48-hour window, and they'll have to endure that contract. It's different with the G League because the contract is essentially the same widespread. Unless you're on a two-way deal, identical. So... You don't see that happen. The action and the signing happens after 48 hours, and that is what happened with Renz Blindberg. And he made his announcement on his own accord early, early today in a Windy City Bulls jersey. So the Windy City Bulls, the G League affiliate of the Chicago Bulls, claimed Renz successfully off of the waiver wire. Puts him in a pretty good situation. I really like how he fits with Tyler Cook. He was with the OKC Blue a couple years back for maybe nine games, then got dealt off. Uh, But he's a really good interior force, good lob threat. I think that kind of suits Renz's game since he is a passer. Um, Has a little bit of shooting in him. Definitely has a long way to go because he wasn't that impressive in Europe. Overall, it's a lot of just potential uh, with him. But that's why you get signed to the G League. Kind of a safe play for any of the G League teams to get in on that because you got a player who is kind of unlike most prospects, six foot 10 ball handler. And what's the cost? Like $35,000 for a G League market for an NBA franchise, pretty worthwhile investment uh, when you break down the owners and kind of money that they're able to play with. So the Bulls got a really good piece out of this. They have filled all 17 of their roster spots, so there's no two ways available. Same with the standard contracts, and Vrenz reportedly said uh, after the draft uh, process, there were multiple teams offering two-way deals. That's not an avenue you can take with the Bulls. However, it's going to be a good spot. Probably going to be better than the OKC Blue in all honesty. However, 
they did submit a waiver claim on the guard. And that's very interesting because this was something I talked about in the last pod, how it might fit, how the schedules aligned, and it looks like it did. You had Robert Woodard II come in early this week off of a Melvin Frazier Jr. swappage. Woodard came off of waivers. He got waived by the Kings. Then he had to sign a G League contract, got swooped up. They didn't lose their spot in waivers. Same happened with Jameis Ramsey two days later. So they didn't move out of their waiver position, uh, but they got two guys in the process. And this is kind of where things get a bit murky in terms of how signings happen on G League waivers, because it's not really uh, well displayed on G League press notices or anything like that on how the claiming works. Uh, So we don't know if it's like fantasy football, or we don't know if the player gets to pick out of a set number of groups. But uh, the way the cookie crumbled, you know, he ended up going to the Windy City Bulls, but you do know that Nazi Muhammad had been interested. I don't know if he intentionally did not get everybody off of waivers or how that all worked out, uh, but I do find that very intriguing, just the way that he did things uh, over this last week. Even if Renz wasn't on the market and even if they didn't extend an offer to him, that's just a type of negotiation tactic that really no other G League team had been utilizing. Maybe one G League team has subsequently dealt someone after picking them off a waiver. The Blue have done it twice and it put them in a situation to almost pick up Renz, which would have been a really interesting addition. I've said it, he's a very raw guy and it's going to take some development time with him. Uh, However, he'd be in a spot where if you send down Vic Krejci, they've been really good friends. Six foot eight point guard with a six foot ten guard, Poku at seven feet tall. It'd be ridiculous in the NBA G League. But, you know, the Wasserman group opted to go a different route. You can't really blame that uh, thinking because the Blue is a great roster. I think they are extremely depth heavy, top to bottom. I love them as a as a group, uh, but it doesn't really leave much opportunity for someone on their way in to get an NBA offer. The OKC Thunder are already flooded with young prospects, and because of it, you have a lot of guys on the blue that you know, have missed their NBA opportunities. I think Vrenz probably would have fallen into that category, uh, but he also would have been dealing with a lot of uh, competition on the main roster. You have Jalen Horde, you have Scotty Hobson, you have a ton of guards already. You got Xavier Simpson, Justin Jaworski is kind of climbing up the ladder right now. Rob Edwards, Georgios Kalixakis. You can kind of keep drumming off names as to how it'd be a bit of an issue. With the Windy City Bulls, I think he fits in well. I, I talked about Tyler Cook, uh, but for the most part, you know, this is a group that needed a small forward. If you're looking to get those reps in and you're looking to impress scouts because this is going to be a one-year contract for him, this was the team to be on. So I think that this was a home run for all parties involved. Would he be great on the blue? I I think it'd be a good try just because the way they're using these jumbo guards. Uh, Windy City might have been the better choice though in terms of team fit. So I'll be looking out for the Windy City Bulls. I've already been kind of looking at the stat sheets for the Iowa Wolves since Melvin Frazier Jr. is there currently, and obviously you got the OKC Blue. They'll be playing today at 12, which is uh, very fun if you're able to catch that. You can probably catch it on the G League website. If not, ESPN Plus is the other go-to for the league. 
But yeah, G League talks have kind of simmered down off this Vren signing. We haven't heard anything in the last couple days with anybody else on the roster. Uh, but this kind of tells you why the G League is so interesting, man. Always new stories coming in and out with the OKC Blue. Seem to be following their big brother in terms of always making acquisitions. Let's put them in a really good spot. Finals appearance in the Winter Showcase Cup in December. They have the playoffs, which they have to work a little bit for because they're floating at 500 right now. A couple more wins. Should be good to go. I will keep you guys posted on that. But I want to move up to the big leagues with the Thunder. And I want to talk SGA, Josh Giddy, and the ball handling scenario that has arisen. But first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings sportsbook hoops fans the latest offer from DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba is too good to pass up new customers can bet just one dollar on any team and get 150 dollars in free bets if they win it's that simple everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings daily fantasy basketball contests and DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN red line. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. But guys, moving along to the ball handling debate. Also, briefly talked about this in the latest episode, but I didn't get into the nitty gritty of things. Because if you guys were following along on NBA Twitter, this was a big deal. After Thursday's game against the Phoenix Suns, you had Mark Dagnall out for press, you had SGA out, and you had Josh Giddy. And a lot of the talks were about ball handling. As we all know, Josh Giddy did a very good job with SGA out of the fold. 10 games of absence started against the Pacers at the back end of January, and he came back uh, right after the All-Star break on Thursday, but Giddy had averages of 16.2 points, 9 boards, and 7.5 assists. The rebounds and the assists led the team, and the points were second in command. Lou Dort had about 22 uh, per game, but yeah, Giddy was looking like a natural when it came down to passing you know, you start to see the ball flow in like crazy, really good after those high ball screens to really pick out the crowd off the corner, whether it's off a roll, um, he really does it all, and it was impressive enough to 
kind of tilt the scales on ball handling and who is going to be the number one distributor. And this is the quote we got from Mark. He said, we've got to be able to utilize strengths. He's a really good initiator. He's a good creator. And we've got to use that part of his game to unlock the potential of the team. It's going to require Shea to make some plays off the ball a little bit where he's driving closeouts, where he's shooting open shots, but it's also going to take some load off Shea. He's not going to have to work as hard. I'm not going to guarantee an amount of possession, but yeah, he's going to play on the ball. Absolutely. 100%. He's a really good player. And to be a great team, you have to have multiple really good players working together. He's proven he can do that. Like I said, it's going to take some load off of Shea. So basically, he said that Josh Giddy is now going to be number one when it comes to ball handling. SJ will have more of that secondary role. And this kind of came from Andrew Schlecht. I listened to Down to Dunk on their kind of take of things. And he was mentioning how SGA was not really in the mood, like for the press conference afterwards, he was away from the microphone. You really had to like increase the volume to even understand what SGA was saying because it was that quiet uh, from his mic. Uh, But yeah, you know, it didn't sound like he was in the greatest of energy, right? Getting asked all these questions and that kind of led him to thinking like maybe he's not on board or whatever. And then on Giddy's side of things, he was kind of just answering the questions like, hey, you know, I'll do whatever, you know, whatever to make this team better. We're going to be one of the best backcourt duos in a couple of years. That's what we want to do. Uh, so he's answering well. SGA was answering well, but obviously you had the energy kind of low. And, you know, people were kind of running with it where it's like, oh my gosh, this is a major ripple in what the rebuilding process has been for two years under Mark Dagnall, and that is get a bunch of young guys, let them go, SGA's at the helm, he's going to put up some really good numbers, and he's going to lead the league in drives, doing all this, all that. I think just because it's getting chopped down a little bit, it's not going to go over that well. Honestly, I don't even see this talk as being that substantial. Like, this is something that was going to happen at some point you might as well do it early josh giddy is not a better off-ball creator than sga you could look at stats for maybe five games and understand that you could look at their whole careers their whole time spans and you get it sga is just a better three-point threat and that's kind of what you chalk this up as i'm sure if giddy was shooting 40 percent from three this could be a whole different conversation but josh giddy's not shooting 40 percent from three Hell, SGA shooting in the 20s, but off the catch, all three seasons he's been in Bricktown, he shot above 40% from distance. Can't say the same about Giddy. He's working on the three. He's been getting it down a little bit more as we've gotten through things, but if you're looking to maximize the roster, in particular that backcourt, yeah, Giddy's going to be that ball handler, but that doesn't mean that SGA is now landlocked to the corner or landlocked to the wing. He'll be getting plenty of opportunities with the ball in his hands. When you looked at what we saw on Thursday, who led the team in field goals? It was SGA. He still had a couple of assists to his name. Giddy had some as well, but you know, it was a split where um, Giddy actually was not probably taking the bigger portion of the pie, right? And it's a one game sample. Doesn't really matter. I don't think it does. You got to get a little bit more run with both of them to make some fair analysis. But Giddy's still going to be handing a lot of the show to SGA. And that's how this should work out. 
one of the best drivers in the league at 23 years old. When he goes inside, he's leading the league in foul shots because he's either hitting his layups or getting hacked. Might get some and ones in there, but normally you get one out of the two, and they're both going to be very effective. He's a great free throw shooter. Around the cup, he's shooting at a high percentage. So that's one of your gems. You want to preserve him. You want to let him continue to do so. It's not like now he won't be taking things in isolation. I think this is more of just setting up half court. You might see Giddy up there first. If he drives inside and there's nothing there, guess what? You kick it out to SGA, and it's just like what we've seen the last two seasons. SGA doing SGA things. It's just more of who's that team initiator and who might get that first punch in. And with Giddy being the first punch, you're going to maximize your opportunities just because the three-point shot is going to be probably at a higher percentage without him uh, being playing like off the ball, if that makes sense to you all. And I don't think Giddy, even though he's a great slasher from all angles, I don't think he's as successful when you're looking at like a baseline or even the wing. His best point of attack has always been the top of the key because his vision is off the freaking charts. He has the IQ to find them, knows where all players are on the floor, no matter what the jersey is, honestly. And that's where you're going to find the open opportunities, continue the kickouts. I think that's just what works best. So I like the move. I think for the general consensus, everyone's on board with it. It's kind of just being, you know, like dramatized a little bit. I don't expect this to be a deal where, you know, SGA is not leading the team in drives. He might be down a little bit, like where he's not above Luka Doncic anymore. I'd still anticipate him being a sliver above Josh Giddy. It's more of just cutting the pie from, you know, 70-30 to maybe 60-40, where Giddy will be there uh, taking it up. And I still think Giddy uh, will be on the lesser portion of the pie, right? Because SGA is just that talented in his set category. So this is a deal where maybe you get the claim up at the end of the season, and then you can get to talking about it. It's more about evaluation currently and seeing where they can grow. Both of them have expanded in their own areas. SGA's driving has pumped up from last season with Josh Giddy. I don't think he was a completely different player at the beginning of the year, but now he looks like a certified veteran. You know, all these little ink blots of passing ability and shots like off the runners. Um, you know, they were there to open the season, but now. It's just a routine part of his game, and it's becoming a problem for the opposition. So you got a strong bond between SGA and Giddy. I don't think there's any animosity tied between them. Don't think it will be uh, that big of a hassle. And guess what? With Josh Giddy out with a hip injury, SGA will have the chance to continue to play his game, which is being number one. And I really don't think uh, it's going to be that much of a relegation upon Giddy's arrival uh, after he's done with his hip injury so with that little slate you had the back-to-back I recapped it uh, OKC split it right they lost the first one against Phoenix really close but then they kind of mishandled things in the fourth quarter they defeated the Indiana Pacers and they have a game against the Sacramento Kings tonight which is going to be very pivotal again in terms of standings this comes from the Tankathon reverse standings. They've been very clutch the last two seasons. 
The OKC Thunder are 19 and 41, five and a half games back of the grand prize. And the Sacramento Kings are two games back at 22 and 40. Identical situation from the Indiana game on Friday. If OKC ends up losing this game against the Kings, you see a slide of one and a half games. This is pretty damn crucial when the gap is only two right now. OKC at five and a half games back. Let's say they win. They are now six and a half games back and they're tied with Indiana for fourth. As for the Sacramento Kings, if they lose, they go down to seven. So you get a half game separating the Thunder, the Pacers, and the Kings. Pretty much you now have a locked up group three teams that are going to be battling until the very end of the season i'd argue that it's going to be this way regardless but it's going to be so razor thin until the end of it you have the pacers and the kings who both have new acquisitions but they're kind of teetering right now so they could go on losing streaks and you have the thunder who you know at their base roster may not look that amazing but when you have sga and you have josh giddy they can be one-man bands and wheel you to a victory. Same goes with Lou Dort. Uh, so it still makes things up in the air. You know, OKC, they're going to have 22 games remaining on the season, I believe. Yeah, 22 games for them. And then it's probably going to be the same for the Pacers and the Kings. Probably win six or seven. Might be the same for the other two. So yeah, if you end up getting this band of three within 0.5 games, that's going to be something big. And on the flip side of it, if OKC loses and you see the Pacers or the Kings win, my goodness, you'll see OKC go to five games behind Orlando and the Kings will move to eight and a half games away. So it's a three and a half game separation at that point. In total, you have a swing of one and a half games on both sides, grand total of three of them. Um, so this will be big time. You got no Josh Giddy in this contest. As for Sacramento, they'll be lining up with Domas. They got De'Aaron Fox, uh, which will make it a very entertaining game. Should be on Bally Sports. But I just want to look at their entirety uh, for their next 22. Already talked about Sacramento, but you have many more games. And they have a stretch here in March where you don't have to worry that much about the tanking squads. Denver, Minnesota, Utah, Milwaukee. Minnesota again, the Grizzlies, Hornets, and then you got the Spurs. So you have about two to three weeks where you're not going to see any lottery talent on the schedule, which is going to be good if OKC is looking to be tanking. But then you got San Antonio. Then you have this stretch where you play the Magic two times in a span of three games. Orlando is right there at the top of the discussion. They are number one in reverse standings, and that will be pretty damn huge if OKC loses both of them. So this is where you clear out the roster. You're looking to put in Lindy Waters, Olivier Saar, just the whole nine yards of OKC Blue members and hope it pans out for you. And, you know, <laughs> thus far, you've gotten good minutes out of Lindy uh, just as a sharpshooter. But, yeah, you'll, you'll find that out there. You got the Pistons late. That's an April 1st game in their black and gray jerseys. That'd be cool. Um, but that about rounds it out. So 
you have the Pistons, you even have the Trailblazers in a little bit, uh, but there's about four games, five if you want to include Sacramento's, where there will be a good amount of lottery implications. And we'll see all the dominoes fold as time progresses, but I just want to keep you guys up to date on that. I'll keep you all up to date on the lottery race following the conclusion of the Sacramento game, and then I will get you all a game recap. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.